Mr. Peter Cass, how are you? Well, I can honestly say, Frank, I'm alive and well and working hard. Good, as always. Uh, I just did an interview uh, with a guest, fantastic guest, with regards to uh, one of his business models was uh, rent to own. And uh, rent to own is something that uh, kind of, you know, when I first got into the industry about 30 years ago, um, uh, dalliance with that every once in a blue moon. But I know that, um, you know, there are different uh, models that have uh, kind of evolved. Uh, the old model used to be where, you know, there used to be an agreement of purchase and sale, uh, no lease, uh, and, and the people paid land transfer tax, they went to go see their lawyer. Uh, there was a, you know, obviously a, a, a long gated, uh, you know, some a, a, a closing date, whether it was a year, two years or three years or five years down the road. And then a percentage of their additional rent uh, went towards their down payment. And then if they couldn't close the deal, then, uh, you know, they moved on. And then they many times, sometimes my clients used to just continue to kind of do it over and over again. Um, so, but I know the model that this individual, um, uh, Gary Hybert, he has done about 150 homes and he would basically do an agreement of purchase and sale and then also have a lease, which I just didn't quite understand. Um, but I guess that's the new way of doing it today. And then he would have a deposit and then he would have a rent and the rent would be maybe 50, 60, 70% higher than what it would normally be. But a percentage of that uh, would go towards the down payment. So I don't know. It seems to have been an industry that's evolved, and I just wanted to tap into you on what your experience has been. Uh, well, you're right, Frank. In the old days, and I can remember searching titles in Hamilton uh, in the 70s, and I'd, I'd see these agreements for sale all through the, the 1950s and 60s, and, and they were a printed form. It, w- it was so common that the law stationers had uh, a, a standard form that mostly was used with minor alterations. And it said that if the buyer didn't uh, pay, you could get them out on 30 days and it didn't involve going to court or anything like that. So things were very different back then. It was rough and ready, the Wild West in some ways. Um, today, it's still what it always was. But it's a means of financing. Um, and every deal is terms. Every relationship is contract. So in this case, I've seen my clients do it different ways. It's labor intensive um, when they do it. Uh, The most recent deal I had um, was where the owner couldn't afford the house anymore, um, had debt, couldn't sell because there was a prepayment cost on the mortgage and or a real estate commission cost. So they were stuck. They wanted to stay in the house, couldn't figure out how. Well, Along comes the business model, and it says, okay, we'll take title of the house from you, and on certain terms, um, you can have that title back. And this has worked for the sellers because, as you said, they're getting a premium. And for the owner, um, in a rising market, it's fantastic. They get the profit that they wouldn't have had. Um, They establish their credit over a couple of years of making payments. So it's a second chance for people who would otherwise have to leave their house. Hmm. Interesting. Well, the interesting format of a rent to own and, and get me, so they pay a, they pay the land transfer tax. They they're responsible for the taxes, the property taxes, the maintenance. I mean, you know, basically there's a structure 
And then if they don't follow that and or make their payments, um, uh, is the process easier to get them out or is it just as hard under the Landlord-Tenant Board? Because they don't qualify under the Landlord-Tenant Board, do they? Uh, well, I've been hearing that they do. I don't do board work, but I've been hearing from some of my clients that they've had a long fight to get a person out of the house. The police aren't going to go there and get these people out. Um, that's not their job. And the sheriff won't get them out unless there's a court order. So, you know, possession, as you used to say, is nine points of the law, right? And so when someone's in the house, you don't just go there and, and attempt to get them out. That's very dangerous for everybody. So the end result is you, you have to get to the board to get rid of them. Um, and that's a big job. So selection of the candidate, vetting people to make sure they're responsible and not going to be difficult and try and, in essence, extort a better position later. Um, that's one of the keys to this. Well, it's an interesting uh, business model, that's for sure. And, uh, and I'm so glad that I had a chance to, uh, run, run this by you because it's, it seems almost like an evolving, you know, it's one of just like anything in real estate, I guess, as time goes, goes by, uh, it evolves. But what I'm hearing from you is that, uh, it's not an easy process to get somebody out and that you basically do have to go to court. And in this case, you're saying that the court, I guess, is the landlord and tenant board, right? Yes, it is the landlord and tenant board, but under the residential tenancies act or, Everyone will act like it is. I can point out one thing, which I should say applies to, to, to most deals. Um, it's the golden rule. People with money make the rules. So what happens is when you're dealing with a, uh, a, a rent-to-own situation, the, the person with the most money, the one who has, has the position to buy the house or maintain it, that person dictates the terms. Like These usually aren't negotiated at all. Like All that happens is that the investor says, this is the way we're going to do it or we're not doing it at all. And the former owner has to agree. It's the same with second mortgages. You know, the lender dictates the terms because the lender knows more about the situation than the buyer and has the, the options that money provides. Right. Question, just with regards to this. So if let's just say that a first mortgage or a second mortgage uh, is in arrears and they need to uh, get the individuals out for power of sale, um, are they going to, how do they go about that? I mean, obviously they're doing the same process, but I guess they're going through, are they, is it superior court that they have to go through to get that done? How does that work? Yes. On, on a mortgage to get possession, you've got to issue uh, a claim. It's a legal proceeding in Superior Court for an order, and then you have to file affidavits and deal with that to get possession. Then you get an order, then people get a seven-day notice, and if they don't leave, you can actually get the police to evict them. Um, but I'm going to point out that everybody has a different approach. I saw this. I, I couldn't believe it. There were people who were checking the court records for regularly for uh, those kind of proceedings. And then they would go to the house where uh, the person was about to be evicted and figure out a way to lend them the money to prevent it. Isn't that interesting? That's... And I, I saw that. I couldn't believe it. It was being done by a law firm uh, together with a mortgage broker. 
And I, I think it was predatory. I think they didn't care how much they lent as long as they could get hold of the house. And I stopped it. Um, I'm kind of proud of that. I, I, I told the clients this is only going to end in further disaster. So we, we found a way to, to, to get some more money on better terms and they could sell the house and save their equity. But by definition, when people are in trouble on their own house, um, they're not very good at, 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 at being suspicious and watchful about who's out to take their money. And that's where the lawyer can step in along with a good broker uh, to make it work. Interesting. Well, thank you. Thank you once again for your input. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Well, Frank, I, I thank you. This is kind of fun. Welcome, everybody. Roll up your sleeves, grab your pens and papers, and get ready to take notes. My name is Frank Taylor, and this is Let's Be Frank. Well, I just had a wonderful opportunity to uh, interview our very first uh, guest, our very first official podcast. Gary Hybert, uh, known uh, by many and uh, loved for his uh, podcast show called Real Talk with Gary. He is a uh, co-owner of Smart Home Choice out in Oshawa as a realtor. He's a father of two uh, young adult children, a husband, and a friend to many. Gary's a really wonderful human being. I um. I reached out to him because uh, I was actually very impressed with his podcast and wanted to know more about, you know, uh, the whole process and how it all evolved. And, and then one thing led to another. And I, uh, he asked if he could interview me on his show. And, uh, and I said, well, as long as you promise to be my first guest. So, um, Jared, what did you think? I think we have a really fantastic guest for the uh, inaugural podcast. I mean, Gary's a fantastic guy, uh, an enormous inspiration, especially for people who are looking to get into the real estate field or even just start their own business. He has, there's a ton of gems in what he's dropped and throughout this podcast, he gives great advice on how to organize yourself, prioritize your goals, get where you need to go and really just design your life. And he talks about all that through the lens of real estate and his rent to own business. And I think Ultimately, this is a fantastic podcast for anyone who's looking to learn about real estate, business, or how to structure your mindset when uh, beginning something of this endeavor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, He's very much about self-improvement and uh, just a wonderful human being. So I hope everybody enjoys this uh, podcast. Gary Hybert. Welcome, everybody, to the first edition of Let's Be Frank, and uh, I am honored, uh, truly honored, uh, to have uh, someone who I think is very special and exceptional uh, in the real estate community in the Southern Ontario area, uh, Gary Hybert, who has got a fantastic show that you must dial into, Real Talk with Gary. And uh, truly is probably one of the best podcasts uh, in in this area, as far as I'm concerned. And I love it because uh, your 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 humility and uh, 
really the essence of who you are as a human being, I find anyway, uh, come through loud and clear. So, uh, and over and above that, I'm not going to uh, lie. Gary actually invited me into his super awesome uh, high tech uh, studio. So uh, here we are. And I want to say thank you very much and welcome. Thank well, you. Well, listen, thank you. Thank you for that great introduction. Uh, you know, sometimes when I hear my own introduction, it I, I have to take a step back because I always try to remember where I was before and where you are to where you used to be. Sometimes you don't even believe the whole transformation. Right. You don't believe that it's possible. You see people where you're like, man, I want to be like that person or I want to be in the in the presence of somebody like that. And uh, it, it goes to show that anything is possible. Well, really uh, well, let me tell you. So here's the thing that's really quite interesting. So we're yeah. going to be here to talk about real estate. Yes. Um, uh, the, the concept of the show basically is to be a frank, honest, forward conversation about all things real estate. Because um, one thing that I have uh, spent a serious amount of time my entire career um, is uh, been able to try and simplify what is really a very complicated industry in many ways. It's, it's nice to paint the picture yep. of uh, great wealth and success, but you're going to have to be willing to roll up the sleeves on your arms and you're going to have to be able to dig in and be prepared that it's going to be a lot of work. Right. Um, and so I really have been giving a lot of thought and time and maybe at some point overthinking uh, the concept of, of my show, um, which is a problem, right? Because you can get caught sometimes. But, yeah. you know... I was involved uh, once, um, so I was previously married, and I have three wonderful uh, young adult children, and then uh, divorced for 24, 25 years, and in between that have, you know, had the opportunity to uh, date a few ladies, right. uh, but all great relationships. We learn from everything, right? Absolutely. Right? And one of the ladies that I dated uh, was a somewhat of a famous personality okay. here in, in Canada and had um, was, a, was, a, was a supermodel at one time in uh, Italy and New York and did, did all of that and then um, very much got into the fashion um, shows in uh, in Canada and then uh, produced a, uh, a show uh, called Lookalike, uh, which was a uh, show um, where they basically did makeovers of people that looked like a famous person. Okay. And uh, that show uh, was syndicated in 120 some odd countries around the world. And so um, uh, she was very involved in the industry, both in film, television and radio. And um, when we started dating, uh, you know, we talked about our stories, you know, and all of this type yeah. of thing, our dating stories. And uh, she said, you know, we should think about uh, writing a uh, pitch for a radio show about relationships, about couples. And right. we could base it around to us because we're two characters. Right. And uh, lo and behold, um, we, um, we wrote it out and uh, took it to um, one of the most famous individuals in radio today, Terry O'Reilly. Okay. Um, who has a show called uh, Under the Influence, which is a, a syndicated show across Canada uh, through CBC. And uh, he owned um, Pirate Radio, which is one of the biggest radio production companies. And so my only experience, we did this pitch and actually the show was 
uh, picked up. Sirius XM in New York wanted it, and Terrestrial CBC wanted the show. It was really quite something. But wow. when we went to New York, um, they wanted us to reside there. They wanted the show um, to be based out of New York City. Okay. And uh, my younger two youngest uh, were still quite young at the time. Um, my oldest actually was living in New York uh, at that time. Um, that's another crazy story. But my, my youngest, my oldest became like one of the top supermodels in the world. Okay. And so he was based out of New York City at a very young age. Um, but my two youngest were, um, I believe I'm going to say nine or 10 at the time. And I was really not the primary parent, but very involved in making sure that I was the one that got them to all their sporting events. And, and, and I had them more than 50% of the time. Right. And, and I very much loved my, my greatest reward in my life have been uh, to be a father to my children. It's been the greatest gift I've ever been given. And uh, so when the, it wasn't an ultimatum, uh, ultimatum, but it was basically you needed, if we were going to do this, you needed to come out of New York. But I guess, Digressing, the reason why I'm bringing that up is that I was very, my only experience in production is super high end, right? Right. right. And um, so then when I was thinking about starting the show, I looked into a production company uh, in Toronto and it they had everything. So they had, it was just amazing. And they had cameras and then because of uh, COVID, we'd be able to put them up on a big um, uh, high-definition television, and it was really quite cool. But because of the closures that kept going down, they got caught in that. Um, and the one individual, the their, the mother, uh, had um, was sick with mm -hmm. cancer, okay. and they didn't want to take any chances. And it ended up that it just affected their business so much. I really felt bad because they're a wonderful couple. Uh, and had spent so much money building this wonderful podcast uh, studio, um, decided to close it. So then I was stuck with having to now really inf get involved in articulating the equipment and production and, and all of that. So, right. um, and then, you know, I did, did a couple dry runs and uh, still wasn't completely happy with uh, the quality, but we're almost there. I have all the pieces of the puzzle uh, put together and, and uh, this will be released. Um, uh, my intention is in December. Nice. Yeah. So December um, and uh, we're not too far off right now. But uh, most importantly, uh, I got involved heavily into listening to the different dynamics of all the different podcast shows that are going on, um, both locally and nationally. Uh, and uh, yours stood out. And so um, I could say without question, uh, you are a natural interviewer. Um, I think you're an excellent guest. Um, I talked to one producer in the industry Excuse me. And he said to me, you're either going to be a great interviewer or you're going to be a, um, a, a great interviewee, but you can't do both. Right. And I said, really? He says, absolutely not. You got to decide what you want to do. So um, in my business or the type of business I'm in, which is a consulting firm, um, I know the types of topics or at least have a good sense after being in the industry as long as I have of the types of things people really want to really talk about and get to know. And, and one of the things that people want to know, and this is from feedback from you and I talking previously, is they want to know about, about you 
They want to know about how, who you were. I want to know right. who you were when you were a high school, went to high school. Were you a shit disturber? Were you a good kid? <laughs> were you a great athlete? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll definitely dive into that. But, uh, you know, let me, you, there's a couple of things that you touched on there that I do want to touch on as well, too, is, you know, when I, when I first started the podcast, um, it wasn't like this. You know, this is I, nice. Oh, well, thanks. But it was it was just an idea, and and I did it from home. And I've always had a very curious nature to myself, and I always liked asking questions. And sometimes my wife was like, "Why are you asking that question? That's so personal." Why? But to me, if they were willing to answer that question, it, it, it created a, a stronger bond with me and that person. I was right. very inquisitive. Um, and and when I first started as well, too, I was only doing them once a month. And I wasn't doing them in the summer. So July and August, I took off in December and January. So I was only doing eight a year. But what I found too was that I was getting better at it, but it also was very far and few in between. Okay. And so it was a little tougher to really kind of hone in on that skill sets. And then it wasn't until early last year that I made the decision um, that I was going to do this every single week. Okay. And so I'm doing two or three a week sometimes I where, yeah, and, and I'm stacking them up. And so that when July and August come around, yeah. I'm not doing any podcasts. Yeah. And so then they can be released, you know, during the summer months, because to me, and we'll get into this a little bit uh, later on is I'm huge on mini retirements. Yeah. And so I want those times off. So uh, let's go into my younger days. So yes. who am I? Yeah. Was I a shit disturber in, in, in high school? Athlete. Look at the size of you, man. You're, 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 well, I was very scrawny. I was a very scrawny kid back in high school. I was probably about maybe a buck 40, um, grade nine and 10, very shy, just kind of really more to myself. Um, and then it wasn't until around maybe grade 11 when I kind of started breaking out of my shell. And then I, you know, and I was always kind of a, a, a class clown, right. but more like amongst my friends, yeah. you know, and, uh, and I always like to make people laugh. And so when I was younger, I actually, I thought about maybe being a, a, a comedian. Really? Yeah. Here's the problem though, was that, um, and I think it took a little while for me to get out of my shell, but I was, I, I was shy and, um, and I got nervous. And, and, and so that kind of held me back. And then I got to this point where I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't like feeling nervous. I don't like going up in front of the class and doing a presentation and, and sweating or uh, staying up the night before and like, oh my God, I can't, I got to do this presentation. And, and, and I think part of it too was that I didn't like school. I didn't yeah. like the homework part yeah. of it. I didn't like yeah. the education part of it because it was like, what am I, what am I really going to use this for? And I, and I couldn't wrap that around my head i was the same way yeah but I, but i like the social aspect of it yes the social aspect of it was was enjoyable to me i, I liked hanging out with people i liked talking and um and so what i realized was that i wasn't understanding the the principles and the fundamentals of what school was teaching me back then it wasn't until later on in life right and now that i look back at it and i tell people pay attention to school. Mm -hmm. I get it. And, I, and this, I'll tell them exactly this. I'm like, I get it. I know you don't really understand it right now. Or, you know, does it really matter if Susie leaves a train station at 10 a.m. and the train's traveling at 60 kilometers an hour and, and Mikey jumps on the train at, you know, 6 p.m. And it's, what time will each of them get there? 
who calls? I'll just call them and we'll find out. I get all that. It right. doesn't, it, you know, and again, and so what I'm, what, what I try to make them understand though, is, is teaching you the fundamentals of um, studying is teaching you the fundamentals of showing up on time is teaching you the fundamentals of completing the work. And so if you translate that into entrepreneurship, that's the same thing. Right. And so that is what I miss. That is what I, I guess somebody didn't sit down and really kind of explain that to me because think about what you've really used from school. Mm -hmm. English is important. Mm -hmm. Math is important, but I'm sure a lot of the other stuff you've forgotten. Right. And, and you learn that as you, as you, as you go on. But, but that's who I was in school. You know, that, uh, were you, so were you an athlete? Like I was you, an athlete. I played, uh, soccer was my thing. Okay. Uh, I was fast. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like a little bullet. Um, and I, and I played for it. Um, so, so soccer was my thing, but again, don't forget, I wasn't a big kid back then. So soccer was great for me. It wasn't, uh, um, physically active. I didn't really do, I didn't do the rugby or the football stuff. I just, I saw it. I'd liked it. I thought it was fast enough, but I was like, right. but what if I get hit once? <laughs> <laughs> they might, they might snap me in half. Right. Okay. Um, and then it wasn't really until around maybe say 1920 when I decided to kind of start packing on some weight. Nin so then I oh, really, 1920, 1920. Not, yeah. the, not the year 1920. No, 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 I don't, no. <laughs> right. I'm not, not yeah. that old. 1920 years old. Okay. And it wasn't until then when I was like, you know what? I want to start putting some weight on and uh, started hitting the gym. Um, and uh, I started taking this, I don't know if you know, creatine. Yes. Yeah. So right. I, I took that for, man, I think maybe about two months or so. Okay. And it just blew me up. And I was like, I ain't taking this anymore. And I stopped. And ever since then, I just really kind of just kept that weight on. Well, you look like a linebacker. Well, yeah, you, you like, look like yeah, you yeah. look like a middle linebacker. And yeah. and and I I played football, um, in uh, almost to a semi pro level. And then uh, my kids were involved in uh, AAA football programs since really my boys since they were six. Right. Um. But yeah, you're built like you uh, and you're in great shape. And so you're taking care of yourself. I am. Yeah, yeah you, I am. I mean, you know, I could be doing more. Um, I've got some COVID weight on, well, you know, don't, so, we all. So, <laughs> <laughs> don't we all, right? Yeah. But you know, I, I definitely at least try to get up and do some push-ups and do some sit-ups in the morning. I call them micro workouts. Yeah, okay. You know, I heard this once at a podcast where, uh, you know, if you, if you even start to some micro workouts, sometimes you, you'll complete, uh, a larger or a macro workout yeah, yeah. and essentially it's just it's just starting you know fine just, just sit down and do two push-ups. well if you do two then you, you'll probably get to 10 yeah and you'll probably get to maybe even 20 good all right so yeah so i'm always trying to do at least a little something in the morning good you know good for you and so and so and then i have also gotten from listening uh to your shows and you've you've got to not just follow yeah um but you've got to like the podcast make remarks because you know uh real talk with gary is the real deal it's a great show his guests are amazing um you know this is a shameless plug but i think that uh you have a wonderful um dynamic with your guests thank you uh and uh you have certainly you're honest uh because we'll talk about it in a little bit because yep. there's some aspects to real estate uh you know investing that you don't like and or but have also uh, been honest about that right and then uh obviously have benefited uh from real estate and being an entrepreneur and what's interesting about that comment about just taking small snippets is that sometimes it's easier to take uh, tasks and break them down 
to simple bites rather than try and all of a sudden say, I'm going to start, you know, running 5K or whatever. So your exercise, um, you know, idea and concept and growing upon that obviously is working, but I'm sure you probably use that in your business model to a certain degree, don't you? Breaking it down into small bite size tasks. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think. I think that is probably the most important thing that any entrepreneur, once they start to become very good at what they do, is break things down. And uh, there, there's something that that I teach a lot of my investors. The very first thing before I say, listen, uh, let's not worry about the real estate investing side of things right now. Um, and, and I think this will be good for people to learn and understand. If they can get this, this will take them very far. So I always ask people, write down a hundred things that you want to achieve. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how small it is. You know, where do you want to go? Who do you want to see? Who do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want? A yacht? You want a mansion? You want to pay off a $500 credit card? doesn't matter. You want the new Jordan shoes that comes out? Just write down a hundred things. Most people will have a difficult time. I bet they probably can't even get to 50. Yeah. Because so many people are like, oh, well, I want to be here. But- how can you sail to England if you don't have a map? Mm-hmm. So this is the, the starting of creating your map of life. That's excellent. Okay. So once you've completed that, right, then write down a one, three, five, or a 10 beside each of those. And what that represents is, can you complete that task in one year, three years, five years, or 10 years? Excellent. Okay. Then once you've done that, you take everything that has a three, five, or a 10 beside it, and you put that in your drawer. Then all you have to do now is focus on the one year. And the one year is what you put on your your whiteboard. And this is now where we're getting down into focusing on the smaller tasks. Because a lot of people get caught up in those vision boards, and they get mm-hmm. this big house. But those are too daunting right now. Mm-hmm. They're too big. They're, 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 they're so far from where you are right now to be able to reach that. You, you will get there. Well, we got to start with the smaller stuff first. Mm-hmm. So once you have those one-year goals written down and you put them on your whiteboard and you look at those every day, they now have to go on your whiteboard as a smart goal, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant time. So you write down what you want and when you're going to achieve it. Is it going to be in June? Is it going to be in August? Is it going to be in December? Okay. So that goes all on there. So now that's your map for the year. Once that is done, the next thing you've got to do now is you've got to get an agenda. So now we're breaking it down even further. Look at you. And so now in your agenda, you start writing down how are you going to achieve and get to those goals on your whiteboard. And so what I do is I don't worry about the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in that agenda. And I like to write it down. I like to put it in a piece of paper and pen. I think there's something very powerful about doing mm-hmm. that. And so I'll have a to-do. I will have personal. And then I have uh, important. And so I just start and write everything down that I got to do to get closer to that goals. But then I'm also putting things in there that come into my mind while I'm working on a specific particular task. And that's called brain dumps because you want to be able to free your mind of whatever you're particular, whatever you're working on at that specific moment. So I'm always dumping, always dumping. If I'm in the car, I'm dumping it into my phone using Siri. Of course, okay. right? Hey, Siri, yeah. remind me, I got to do whatever at this. Yeah. So when I get home, I can also dump it back into my agenda. And so what that does now is it plans out your week. Because see, people think just being busy is good, and it's not. Mm-hmm. You also have to be laser focused because you can get caught up in emails all day. And see, emails 
are not that important to me. Mm-hmm. Those are things that other people want me to do. They take me away from my goals. Some, some of them obviously, you know, are things right. that I've asked for, but a lot of times it's other people wanting things for me. So I can't, I got to be careful because they can be time wasters. Then the next thing that you do to break it down even a little bit further is that now you use your phone and that is when now you can journalize and put everything into its place. And usually what I tell people to do first is put down the things that are non-negotiable, like waking up in the morning and having your coffee or, um, you know, your me time or exercise or maybe at four o'clock picking up the kids, whatever it is, you put those in that you cannot alter or change. And then now you start to plan your life out around all those. And that's essentially how you really kind of break things down. And then before you know it, you get to the mid-year point. July, August is when I usually like to take a look at my whiteboard. I start to cross everything off. Look what I accomplished. Look what I achieved. Look what I got to. But then I also like to do a mid-course correction. And that mid-course correction is, you know, if you're sailing to England, what's going to happen? You get some waves, you're going to get some wind. And so then now you got to take a look and say, okay, well, are my goals what I started off with at the beginning of the year where I need to be and where I'm going? Or do I need to take some of them off and put some new ones on? And then now at the end of the year, I'll take a picture of that whiteboard of what I've achieved, what I've accomplished, and I'll follow it away. And then I'll start all over again in January. And I've been doing this since 2010. And by doing that very simple task, yet a lot of times most people won't do it, has allowed me to design a life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it's all about. It's about how do you design a life? People get caught up in the destination. It's not the destination. It's a journey. Yeah. How do I want this year to be? And then before you know it, five years will go by and you'll take a look at all that major list that you wrote in the beginning and you will start to, won't believe that, look at this, look what I achieve, look what I accomplish. And it's the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Good for you. And that is, is how you break it down. Now, is this something that you have designed? Is this in your book, by the way? It's not in my book. So this is something that I, that I learned from Jim Rohn. I learned this from Jim Rohn back in around maybe say 2009. So before I started uh, Smart Home Choice. Shout out to Jim, Jim Rohn. Rohn. Jim Rohn, yeah. So if you don't know who Jim Rohn is, Jim Rohn is... Tony's Robbins mentor. So that's who Tony Robbins learned from. Really? Yeah. Jim Rohn is the master of um, entrepreneurship and mindset. And so I learned that before I really got heavily involved in the real estate investing. To me, that is the most important piece. And so that is why people are like, yeah, but smart home choice doesn't really sound like a real estate investment club. I get it. But to me, smart goals is way more important. Yeah. And so that's what I base it off of was smart goals. Interesting. So going back, so now we're dealing, you said that you were shy in school yep. and uh, and then evolved to realize that you needed to start investing in yourself through yep. either educating through reading and or becoming part of a program. Is this where, where did you take courses? And Well, if, yeah. So if we're going back that far, um, I knew that I wanted to be successful from when I was like 19 and 20. Mm-hmm. And I, and I remember watching those, all those infomercials. Uh, who was it? Don LaPree. Yeah. And uh, who was that guy there? Tom Vu. Tom Vu. On the boat there. Tom and before really, he got arrested. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. and, but but I, I always knew that there was something, there was something there that those people were doing that got them to some level of success. Uh-huh. And I didn't really understand it and I was trying to figure it out, but I always wanted to. But then what ended up happening was uh, I met my beautiful wife 
Yes. Um, and uh, about a year and a half later, we had our son. Wow. And we had a decision to make. We we're like, well, do we want to get married or do we want to move out? And so we decided to move out, wait for the whole marriage thing. And, and we bought a condo. Good. Because most people would usually rent. And I was like, I just don't want to waste and throw it away into mm-hmm. renting. There was something at least there that I saw that homes are going up in value. Mm-hmm. And I think I got this from my dad where he, he said, if I had some money, I'd buy some land. He always said it every year. Okay. If I had some money, I'd buy some land. If I had some money, I'd do this. I'd, you know? And so I was like, okay, well, let me, let me, I've got a little bit of savings because my, my, my mom my mom teaching me the importance of just putting some money aside out of, out of sight, out of mind. And so I had put some money into RSPs. Every single Good page, just put 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it was. It wasn't much, but it was enough for me and uh, my wife, Darlene, to use it as a down payment because she had some as well too. And that's how we bought our condo. It was like 120,000 back in 2000. No, but this would have been what, 1997? Yeah, 1997. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the market was just starting to bounce back, but it uh, it wasn't insane because in, in the 90s, we had gone through quite a recession at that time. And then 97, things were starting to starting to hum again. See, I had no idea. And it wasn't, it wasn't important to me at the time, whether it was humming or not humming. Right. It was just more like, I yeah. need to buy this piece yeah. of asset, this real estate, you know, because honestly, I didn't really know. I remember my dad telling me, you know, some horror stories back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And he actually had told me I shouldn't get the condo because he thought, and, and I think he was more that he had saw some of his friends lose a lot of money mm-hmm. in, in, in the condo market when it dropped. It just happened. And so it yeah. was, you know, and, and again, look, if you're not heavily involved in real estate, you're only going to get and hear the stories that you hear from your friends, right? Right. You, you, you know, once you dive into it, you know, it's, it's completely yeah. different. Yeah. It's a different ball game. Totally right? different. But, but when you're hearing things and you're on the sideline, it's different, right? You, you start painting a completely different picture. You don't have all the pieces and, uh, you know, you're missing parts of the puzzle. You know, imagine having a puzzle on the table, you got 500 pieces, but you only have 200 pieces. Right. And the other 300 are somewhere in, you know, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. in the garbage. Absolutely. You can't put it together properly. And and so how did you evolve into, uh, into not those courses, but in just your ability, like you're a fantastic interviewer. You've got a great personality. Obviously you do. I've seen you do webinars. I've joined in on some of them. You're a complete natural. Thank you. Um, did you do did you do Toastmasters? Um, and I asked that because my my ex wife was was quiet by nature, yep. and um, you know, and and so we had got she had gotten into um, an insurance. We got a, a book of uh, a book of uh, business in the insurance industry, and so she was almost forced to have to you know really put herself out there, and so she went to Toastmasters and evolved, mm-hmm. uh, and and now she's you know incredibly vivacious and outgoing and um but toastmasters was the platform and for you how did you evolve to be as comfortable as you are right now yeah so i'll share this story i don't know if i've ever shared this one before so um when i got the job at td bank and i started off in operations or sorry in in the tape library then i got moved into operations and from there i climbed and then i got to uh, team lead then i became you know the manager frontline manager and while doing that it was also building my confidence and also exercising was building my confidence okay. as well too, because when you're, when you're physically fit, it, 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 it you know, it's releasing endorphins yes, it and you're does. feeling, and you're feeling good about yourself. Yes, it does. 
However, um, I got to the shift manager role. And now you're kind of getting a little bit more into the, the big leagues yeah. and the executives are there. And so, you know, I would have to run and organize that, that morning meeting of what was happening and where things were going and what happened overnight. And I remember there was something that had happened where I'd gotten nervous. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you're so nervous, you get to this fight or flight. Yes. And I mean, there's nobody there that I wanted to fight. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so I was in flight mode. Okay. And, uh, and I, I had never felt anything like that before where I guess maybe looking back at it, it was probably an anxiety attack. Wow. And I just froze and I was just so nervous and uh, my armpit started sweating and I was like, and so the once that happened, the once, then it happened again. And then it started, and then it, it became um, something that just kept happening to me. And, and I think there's something maybe that potentially happens in your brain where it's like, oh, hold on, this is happening again. Here we go. We got to protect Gary. Let's get out of here. And it's an uncontrollable feeling. Yeah. And so I started kind of getting back into my shell and I started getting back into, I didn't want to do presentations or I wanted to do public speaking. Um, and then so fast forward, I knew that I wanted to get out of TD and when I started Smart Home Choice, um, I was like, okay, I need to start doing Toastmasters because I want to start doing presentations or if I'm going to be speaking in front of people, uh, this is going to be very difficult. And I will be honest with you, I struggled with public speaking from 2010 to 20, probably 16, 17. Wow. Maybe even, maybe even a little later. It wasn't until maybe the last two, three years I felt a little bit more confident. I still get nervous. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but Toastmasters helped. So you did go to Toastmasters. Yep, Toastmasters Isn't, isn't that something? And I highly recommend anybody, yep. uh, even if you're not, um, you know, um, the type of, even if you're, you are outgoing, everything that I know from clients that have participated and witnessing how my ex-wife evolved and, and all that, I haven't been myself, but I did attend. Um, I highly recommend people uh, getting involved in a Toastmasters community. And it also teaches the importance of networking in many ways mm -hmm. if you're getting to it young enough. Right. Um, but um, look at you. Uh, you've now evolved into like a very dynamic speaker. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. I, I never, um, I just kind of got thrown into situations like you just described um, when I was involved in the real estate uh, uh, industry as a licensed realtor, I was very involved in the board. And so then I, I got very involved. I became a board of director and chairman of uh, our commercial real estate division, yeah. which, which basically represented all commercial realtors through all of Niagara, all Kitchener, Waterloo. We were kind of Hamilton was the base for it was called the Regional Commercial Council. And uh, so then I started having to do functions and um, I had to get up and do speaking in front of sometimes a few hundred people. Mm -hmm. And not having any experience with that, I just thought to myself, okay, how am I going to over, how am I going to do this? And so, you know, originally, just like anyone, I, I write out, you know, in detail what I thought I needed to talk about. And then, and then as I tried to kind of run through that in my mind before I had to do the big show, um, I just broke it down to bullets. And Best one, one word, bullets, that was my uh, cue in. And then I just um, became an organic speaker and always got compliments and lost that whole uh, ability to be nervous about it because my attitude was, 
what the heck? Right. I mean, you know, it's either going to work or it's not. And if people can see that you're doing your best, no one's going to judge you. Yeah. So um, in life, I think that is a wonderful lesson. And this is why um, I wanted to dig into that because who we are today and those things that we benefit from and where you are fundamentally starts at a very young age. And in many ways, it comes from uh, influences from our family members, yep. um, both positive and negative and or friends and family friends or mentors at the time and so on and so forth. But my gift is being able to take very complicated situations or issues, mm -hmm. always has been, uh, and, um, and to be able to navigate and uh, problem solve and figure out an answer. Logically, I've never really known how I've been able to do it, but it's been a gift. Okay. And uh, and then when I got into real estate, I was somehow able to um, uh, look at buildings. I literally would visualize, and I did old buildings, right? So stuff that's you know that most people would run from, hundred years, one hundred fifty year old, and I uh, I would envision what it was that I could see in my mind's eye. And then I would literally build it to be exactly how I envisioned it. And then when we ran into situations, because when you're getting into old buildings, you start tearing them apart. Mm -hmm. That's when things start to reveal itself. But ironically, somehow, it just, I don't know how, it just came easy for me to be able to resolve the issues. And I also developed an ability to, when you had electrical, like some of these buildings were large. So electrical engineering firms, HVAC companies, you know, people that were true experts in their field. But when we ran into a situation, they couldn't figure out how to overcome it. And somehow I always was able to resolve the issue and get it done and cost effectively. And then it ended up that it worked out well for me when I was doing a lot of the project management work because I had contractors that loved working with me because I appreciated what they did. Mm -hmm. But they also appreciated the ability that um, uh, that I was able to put together large projects with you know myriads of individuals and be able to bring it and hit the ball out of the park and make it something out of your museum. Because I'm a glue and screw guy. There's not a nail including decks in anything I build. It's literally screwed, as they say, and yeah. glued. And then even when I would do framing, any kind of uh, mill work, um, I actually would use Bondo. People don't know that, but um, you know the, the people who are uh, mill workers and uh, finished carpenters may know that if you put in a Bondo, into the actual seams, yeah, it won't dry out like caulking or anything else type thing. So, yeah. um, so, so uh, I kind of, uh, in just like you, kind of had to come to a reality that in in order to succeed in life, we needed to make sure that we put ourselves out there, but but eat, but do it authentically and right. not worry about what other people are going to think. Right. And, and that's a difficult thing, right? Especially, and listen, man, I think Jerry Seinfeld said this. He goes, um, most people, you know, don't want to do those presentations or go up in front of hundreds or thousands of people. Uh, they would rather be in a coffin. And so they what did he say now? He goes, you know, imagine what the guy up front that's doing your eulogy, imagine how he feels. <laughs> you know, it was something along those <laughs> right. lines, right? Yeah. But, but I'll tell you how I really came over it. So Toastmasters helped. Yeah. Uh, and I remember this other course I took at TD. It was speaking effectively one in front, uh, speaking effectively in front of one or a thousand people. Okay. But here's what really helped me. And this is why I think it's so important to talk to so many different people because you never know who can, who can change 
the way that your mind thinks yeah. or looks at a problem or uh, can solve something. And so anyways, she had heard me speak in front of a real estate investment club and she reached out to me on social. She goes, look, you know, I'd, I'd love to sit down and have a conversation with him. Like, yeah, sure. No problem. So we have a conversation. It's about an hour and a half conversation. And she's just really just asking me questions. This about is random. Someone that you didn't know before. Didn't know. Just didn't someone know. who reached out to Correct. you. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So an hour and a half, gave her my time. And yeah. she's like, listen, uh, thank you so much. I don't know how I can ever really repay you. I'm like, no, it's okay. No problem. You know, it wasn't like, because if I was like, hey, you know, use my real estate investment right. club. No, it wasn't anything like that. I, I enjoy authentically helping other people. Yeah. And uh, she goes, so what are you doing this uh, next week? And I go, actually, I got to uh, do this presentation and I got to be the MC for an event that we're doing for this particular brokerage here, our neighborhood realty with Les Brown. So Les Brown was coming up and I'm like, I had to introduce him and I had to do a podcast with him. And I'm like, I am shit myself. <laughs> I'm like, I am so nervous. Wow. And she goes, oh my God, I can help. And I'm like, you can, how? So she goes, so you're nervous, right? And I'm like, yeah, very nervous. She goes, the chemicals produced in your body when you're nervous or you're excited is exactly the same thing. So just say you're excited as opposed to nervous. And as simple as that, that completely changed me that whole entire day because now when I feel that coming on, I can like, I cannot believe how excited I am to be doing this interview with you, Frank. Wonderful. So you can see now how important the mindset is. That's a great, now, aren't you, have you, have you shared that before? I haven't heard you share I, that. I've shared it before. Have you? Okay. Yeah, yeah, but, that's, that's a great point, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. Uh, um, yes. I mean, uh, I, I believe the same thing. I, I don't know. I, I didn't get that kind of influence, but I just basically just thought, oh, well, you know, you're either going to make it or break it, try and make it. Yeah. Right. Um, so then, so then. So here you are, you now you were set, you talk about the bank because that always uh, interests me when you see uh, someone that gives up a job at a bank yep. uh, because, you know, really there's not a lot of jobs in the world that exist today unless you're working for the government and or insurance yep. and or the banking industry. Yep. That is something that would be deemed uh, recession proof, I guess is a great way to kind of. So were you in the lending side or were you in the technical background side? I was in the IT. I was in the You're, IT You were side. in IT. Yep, okay. Correct. Well, I can see the IT's paying <laughs> off here because holy cow, I feel like I'm in a spaceship. This is awesome. Um, but uh, just, you know, there's still a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of security. And um, so that transition you made, and I, and I want to, because we got to get into real estate and right. how that, how that kind of became the focal point for you to start seeing there was an opportunity of some freedoms that presented themselves through, through real estate. So if you don't mind sharing that. So yeah. you had your first condo. Yep. So I had my first condo. Saved your money while you were at home. Yep. Invested in RSPs. Mm -hmm. Very important for, you know, the young kids to realize that yep. if their parents aren't making them pay rent or if they are, ask your parents what you can do around the house and ask them to save that money for you. Like you can't, you know, you got to help out. I say to my kids, like you can't, you've got to give to get. So you either help out and then the money goes in the bank kind of thing. So you saved, bought a condo, your first condo. And from there, what had it to go? Yeah. So from there, I started climbing the ladder of uh, success at TD Bank. And yeah. I remember sitting down with a friend at TD as well, too, in the front line and saying, you know what? I'm going to play this game. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, I'm going to climb this ladder. And so from there, I knew that it was a game. 
Don't ask me how. I don't know. I just like, I'm going to play this game. Yeah. And so then I started networking. I started hanging out with the right people. I think I might have heard that you know, your your network is your net worth. Right. And that's what I started doing. I started hanging out with some of the senior managers and going out for lunch with them and, you know, we'd go on trips together. And so I just started playing that game. Mm-hmm. And from there, I could see that, wow, this works. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Right. And once I understood that and I started getting to a certain level at TD Bank, I was like, the next levels, you know, as you're getting higher, you're getting more work, more responsibility, and the pay doesn't equal the the workload. And I would say the golden handcuffs that you are now getting because they're getting tighter. They're giving you a phone. They right. have easy access to you. Um, and I'll make a long story short. 2008, I think we've gone through this before, but we'll go through it really quickly, yeah. um, was when they... Uh, the U.S. was going through its financial crisis. Yes, it was. And uh, almost collapsed. Almost collapsed. Yeah. And but that wasn't really happening up here in Canada. We, if you remember, it was more of like it just kind of just real, real estate wasn't affected. It wasn't. But the banking system, the industry, the financial industry they, was literally on a precipice globally. Right. Correct. Right. And so they started. So, anyways, I go into work. They call it Black Monday. Sat down at my cubicle, minding my own business. And all of a sudden I see one of my friends get called into the manager's office and he comes out and he's got this look on his face like, oh shit, it's on. Yeah. And all day long, they just kept calling people into the office, letting them go, letting wow. them go. And uh, it was it was a scary moment in my life because I just bought now, we'd bought our new home. Um, you know, we're in a 2,400 square foot house, two young oh, wow. kids. We weren't even sure if we could afford it. And now I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my job. Right. And it clicks into me. Before I get to that part, the manager comes out and he goes, okay, we're done. Uh, everybody else that's here, you guys are good. You can go home. And uh, I'm driving home and it clicks like, I only have one source of income. And I said to myself, never again do I ever want to feel like somebody's in control of my financial freedom or future. Good for you. And But, but you know, I didn't know what to do. And I tried a whole bunch of different things, got into commodity trading, got into Forex trading, got into uh, currency trading, wow. tried a whole bunch of different things and nothing was working. And so still six, working, but doing this on the side, just right? trying yeah. things, trying learning, things, learning, learning, trying, learning. To, trying exactly. to figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Trying to feel, figure the game out. Right. Exactly. And, uh, and that, that, that's when I, I came across Jim Rohn and I remember something that he said, he goes, work hard on your job you can make a living work hard on yourself you can make a fortune and so then i really started working hard on myself still going and working you know doing what i got to do there but then when i got home instead of watching tv started working on myself educating myself um going to the bank now for the third time to take all my debt and put it into my mortgage okay and uh, she looks at all the the lines of credits and the helocs and credit cards she's like gary you don't know how to manage your debt very well do you i'm like no because how about we just cut everything up I'm like yeah go ahead cut it all up i don't want to see it anymore i'm done with this uh-huh. leaves the office i'm in there by myself and i look up on the wall and i see the index chart and the index chart is this big chart that shows you what's happened for the last 50 years uh with um you know interest rates and uh, uh the markets and i saw inflation and inflation was doing anywhere from 1%, 2% a year to as high as, you know, 18 19%. So you average it out 5% a year. This was the average. And so I did a quick math. Uh, and the raise at work that I had the year before was $1,000. 
And that worked out to 1.6%. And I was like, I get it. I can't outpace inflation by having a job or, or what people call just over broke. Yeah. Because it just kept, kept me coming back every single week, every, you know, every day to get that paycheck. And so then I was like, well, if this house bailed me out, what if I picked up one more property? What could that possibly do for me? And that was really the start of it. It was a start of me now educating myself on the importance of real estate. What is money? What's the difference between money and currency? How does it all work? What's this whole financial system? RSPs, everything. I'm like, I need to understand my finances because I keep giving my money to the bank and I don't know what they're doing with it. I don't understand it. How can I, and, and then how can I blame anybody else for where I am? The only person that I can blame is me. Right. That is when my eyes opened up in 2008. Fascinating. So you bought the condo, then you you then sold the condo, bought a house as your family grew kind of Correct. thing. Is yep. that how it went? So yep. you didn't keep the condo as an investment. No, but I wanted to. Okay. But I just, I couldn't afford right. it. Could. So, so then we bought a townhouse in Whitby. So yep. we knew enough that we couldn't stay in Toronto. We just couldn't afford it for what we needed. Okay. And then we stayed at the townhouse for about three years and then we bought a detached home. Okay. All right. And so. And even then that townhouse we wanted to keep too, but I'm like, I can't afford it. Yeah. And then when we bought that bigger home, we're like, okay, hold on a second. I, I got to keep these homes. I got to figure out how to do this. And this was on your own or is this through someone you knew that was investing in real going estate? Going back to my had, dad. Going back to my dad. dad. He just like, and he always said it. If I had some money, I would buy some land. Yeah. That always just rang in my head. Cause I'm like, well, if he's in his forties at the time, when I was like 15, 16 and hearing him say this all the time, there must be something there, but he doesn't have the money to do it. But why does he keep saying it? He can, and he just kept saying it, yeah. you know, he said it all the time. And I would hear him like, man, okay, there's got to be something there. What is it? But I didn't really understand it. But I just knew there was something there that he kept saying it on enough <laughs> times that it registered. Wow. And your dad, you're, I think we in a, another conversation we had, your dad's a farmer or you, you kind of lived. Well, we you, lived in Curtis. And Curtis, so okay. we, we were amongst farms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we had, we had an acre of land. Yeah. We had chickens. Yeah. Well, there we, you go. Yeah. Right. We, we had uh, a, a huge garden, you know, we had corn and uh, tomatoes and, and the whole work. So, Self-sustaining. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Wonderful. Yeah. And and your siblings, uh, did were they uh, older, younger? They were younger, so I'm the oldest. So you are the one that leads the pack. Correct. So uh, Which is pressure in its own, right? It is. It, right? It's a lot. It is, yeah. Yep. Um, and, and so so you have the house. What was the deciding factor of your first investment? What did you buy? Good question. So I then put it out there into the universe. I started telling friends, like, I want to get into real estate investing. Like, you ain't got no money. It's like, I know, but I just, I need to do it. I want to get into it. And so I told a friend that, and uh, about a month or so later, he, he circles back and goes, hey, were you serious when you said that you want to get into real estate investing? And I'm like, yeah, I am. He goes, my dad um, has a home and he's going through a divorce and he really wants to stay there. Um, but his, you know, ex-wife is like, no, we got to sell it. Because would you buy it so that my dad can actually live there? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I didn't even flinch. Wow. And he goes, you can afford it? I'm like, I don't know. Let's just figure it out. And so we we figured it out and went to the bank. And if you remember in 2008, uh, there was zero down. Yeah. And so zero down. Um, and all you had to do was come up with the closing costs. That's closing right. costs were $3,000. And I went back to my friend. I'm like, I don't have 3000 He goes, what do you mean? It's like, well, I just refinanced everything and I just got all my credit cards and everything cut up. I got like 1500 bucks when we do a JV. 
I didn't know what a JV was right. really back okay. then, but I knew enough that, hey, let's like, let's do it together. Oh, so you brought him in as a partner. Yeah. And he's like, I don't have $1,500 either. So both of us didn't really even have it, uh, okay. but we, we, we scrambled and we somehow came up with the 3000 And dad didn't have it if you were buying the house? I just and- wanted to do it on my own. Okay. I just wanted to do it on my own. And so it's me and my friend did it together and we purchased that property and his dad lived upstairs and uh, it was an illegal two unit. And then his sister lived downstairs. Okay. And uh, and then after a couple of years later, Osho made it very simple for you to legalize uh, properties that if you can prove that they were two units prior to a certain year. Yeah, it was grandfathered. So I went to the city and I said, hey, look, I got this two unit. Yeah. And they're like, okay, cool. We need you to do this, 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 and this. I'm like, all right, cool. Did it. And then I got uh, it legalized. Were the rents below market value or were you getting market value? No, no, I, I think it was maybe making uh, 150 bucks a month or something okay. like that. But it was just enough. It was like, yeah. I, covering I just, itself. Yeah, you know, I was like, hey, look, I knew yeah. enough that I wanted cash flow that I didn't want to put any money out of my pocket. That yeah. was it. And yeah, I was like, yeah. no problem. And so they they looked after it. They maintained their property. He cut the grass. He did everything like as if he, you know, well, yeah. owned it. Yeah. And, and, and it, that's how I got started. Isn't that interesting? And a partner too, and a which partner. is, which is, you know, sometimes it's difficult to have partnerships in yeah. anything, uh, let alone your very first investment property, but he was your buddy yeah. and it was your buddy's dad. Right. right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. and then how did that work out? Like, um, it worked out fine. No, no issues, no problems, no, no falling out. It was nope. all good. Everything Great. was good. Great. And, uh, and eventually though, my, he wanted, he needed some money. Yeah. I think he was looking to purchase his own home. This is maybe about five years later. He's like, look, you know what? I need to get out of this deal. I'm like, okay, no problem. Um, I'll buy you out. And so cool. then I and so then I bought him out. Good for you. Yeah. Good for but, you. But what was really important about that was that I understood and started to learn about joint ventures and that you don't need to have the money. You can actually um, get the money from other sources. Yeah. That that opened my eye then. So when you when you when you bought them out, just so everybody knows, how did you do that? So you it was five years. It was on the renewal of the mortgage, and you basically refinanced and then bought him out. Is that how you were able to do it? Correct. Okay. Yep, so yep. so there you go. So you were able to take the equity that yep. you built in, and uh, and then uh, be able to have your uh, partner divest, and and he was able to move on, and now you're the sole owner. Correct. Right? Yep. And uh, that whole five year, dad and sister, everybody's a great. Yeah. Tenant, no tenant were, issues. No Wonderful. tenant issues. Perfect. Is, 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 yeah, All right, well. property number two. So property number two. Um, so this is about a year later. Yeah. And so then I go to my brother-in-law and I'm like, hey, let's go buy a property. Because I'm starting to understand. I don't need to do this on my own. I can okay. do this with other people. Okay. Um, and so we uh, said, okay, cool. So we went into Scarborough and and found a property that was a great price. I think it was like three fifty detached bungalow. Can you imagine that detached nice. bungalow in oh Toronto for three fifty? Oh Absolutely crazy. <laughs> right. it, it, it totally. And, is. Uh, and oh, and the reason why we decided to do that as well too is because his mother was renting a place, and she, you know, and, and the places that she was renting because of what she could afford, they weren't great locations or they weren't great apartment buildings. Right. So we're like, okay, no problem. Let's help your mom out. We'll give her a decent place to live and help her out with the rent, and then we'll put somebody in the basement. So I sort of understand. I was doing burrs before Look I even knew you. what burrs were. Yeah. And, uh, and so we did that, and uh, I did some advertisement in, in Craigslist. Yes. I don't remember Craigslist. Oh I don't know if that's around oh, anymore yeah. or not. Oh, it's there. <laughs> Is it still there? Oh, yeah, it's there. Okay. <laughs> right. 
And so we, you know, we had a couple of people come out and this one guy comes out, he shows up, he goes, I love the place. This is an older guy. He's going to, and his, I think his daughter was with him and he's like, I'll look after the place. I'll cut the lawn. I'll do this. I'll do that. And I'm like, okay, cool. They, I go, um, you got like any references? And he goes, no, 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 but you know what? Here's the money. So he put the money in my hand and I'm like, this shit's easy. Yeah. And so he moves in and that was a mistake. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, I didn't do any check. I don't think we even did a rental application, yeah. you know? Um, and uh, every month so, he's so like, I'm going to- So for those who are listening, yep. right? Underline, you're, you're never going to just take someone on from their word or through recommendation of a friend or a family member that Correct. says they're good. You need to do some background checks and have- a platform in which, you know, to vet people, because uh, all you need to do is just have one bad tenant. And then that is a ingredient add to your real estate mix that can cause uh, negative feelings moving forward or make you apprehensive. And I don't know if that's the case, but you have to make sure you're doing it right, right from the get going. But one thing I want to highlight too, is I've noticed is in your story here is that you, you're helping people out uh, you helped your friend's dad and the sister, and now it's your friend's mother. And um, anyway, we'll we'll get back to that. But it says something about you. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Crazy Train Malloy moves in downstairs. Yeah, yeah. All right. And so now he says he's going to do this and he's going to do that. And uh, you know, I, I would go to the place to go get the rent. I think the rent was like maybe seven hundred and fifty bucks. And uh, he would hand me the the, the cash. He goes, here he goes, uh, I'm like, there's only 550 bucks here. He goes, yeah, yeah, come on inside. I fixed this and I fixed that. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what we agreed to. He's like, yeah, but I fixed it. So I'm like, okay, fine. Next month, same thing. Hey, look, I fixed this and I fixed that. And so he keeps doing this. But because I don't understand the landlord and tenant board and the act, yeah. I don't say any of this stuff. Yeah. I keep like, ah, fine, forget it. Okay, okay. Because he is helping me out in some aspects of it. And then he starts smoking in the house. And then I got my brother-in-law's mother upstairs. Yeah. And uh, I think the, the straw that finally brought the camels back was he got a water bill. And the water bill was like, I think it was like 1200 bucks for like two months. What? And what had happened was there was a faucet that was leaking yeah. and nobody had told us. Yeah. And it, it wasn't even leaking. It was running. Yeah. And so this was about a year later. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. And, uh, and, I, re and I remember... Going back into work, because I talked to a friend about getting into real estate investing back in 2001. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I don't know why I didn't listen to you, because this thing is just such a pain in the ass. Uh, so we sold the property. Sold the, sold, sold the, the second one. Yeah. Still kept the first one, but we sold the second one. Because yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I got into it, and I was like, you know what? Maybe I should just sell the first one, too. Maybe it's not real estate. Maybe it's, it's got to be something else. So yeah. I start getting on the verge of it backing out. Right. You know, and, and of course, too, my wife wasn't completely sold in it. You know, I'm taking money out of our yeah. accounts and, and buying properties. Yeah. And, you know, the mindset for us back then, too, is like, well, we got to see the money in the in the bank account. Right. You know, but if you can't see the money in the bank account, well, where is it? Right. So we sell that property. We, we pretty much almost kind of broke even. Okay. You know. What year was that? Uh, we sold it in 2009. Okay. End of so market was soft. So the, so the 2008, 2009 market wasn't devastating no. uh, during that time frame, but it wasn't, it wasn't bumper. And if you didn't buy right, 
Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, you weren't after your real estate fees and all the costs that are involved, you weren't necessarily making a lot of money at that timeline. Correct. Um, and then another thing to maybe perhaps take note of is that if you see any kind of a leaky pipe, anything like that, fix it because it is going to cost you a ton of money. And it's incredible. A running toilet, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, can absolutely add up to hundreds of dollars okay. constantly running. Yep. Um, and so uh, that is something, there's a lesson that I'm sure that you're very aware of uh, with regards to plumbing and making sure, especially when you're paying for the water bill. Yep. Um, so you, you bail out, you break even, you kind of get a, a little bit of a bad disdain in your mouth. You didn't have to go through the landlord and tenant board because you decided to sell. Right. right? Yeah. And my mom was willing to move out. She was willing to move out and the tenant in the basement had moved out. And so that was good as well, okay. too. So it all kind of worked out perfectly okay. at the time. Okay. Um, yeah. And to add to that as well, too, that's when I learned about the importance of treating your tenants like gold. Like clients. And, and, your and clients. yeah. And, and going in and checking on the property every so often as yeah. well, too. Right. Yeah. So. So quick question. How yeah. much is that property worth today? A million. Easily. Easily. Easy. Oh, yeah. Easy one, 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 two. Oh, over a million. I don't know exactly, yeah. but I would say over a million for sure. And what'd you buy it for? Uh, we bought it for 350, I want to say, somewhere okay. there, or 345, something, yeah. somewhere in there. I, I, always, I, I almost want to, no, you know what? It might have been 245, 250. Yeah. I, think, I think that's what it was, actually, to tell you the truth. Yeah. There you go. So, I mean, I, sometimes it's good. It's not to look back on things that could have occurred that aren't positive, but it's always good to reflect back and go, Hmm, if I was only able to, you know, manage to, you know, kind of keep that, but sometimes it's the platform for bigger and better things. Right. And that is when I, I, so this is the last ditch effort. I was like, okay, let me, let me start doing some searches online. I started doing some Google searches and I was like, a better way to invest in real estate. And when I put that in, I came across rent to own. I was like, what's rent to own? This is interesting. So, so just so we're clear. So you, you've got, you bought your first investment property for your friend and his sister, his father and sister. Then you get one from your buddy's mom and uh, a crazy train, Mr. Fix-It. And then then you get into rent-to-own. So for those who don't know what rent-to-own is, um, basically it's a formula in which one designs based on whatever model that you basically put together, Mm -hmm. uh, where you, uh, in in some cases, you actually have the person go out and pick the home. Yep. For themselves, but many would actually buy the home, uh, redo it, fix it up, or do whatever it was. Sometimes not even fix it up, just kind of you know paint lipstick on a pig, as you say. Yep. And then, uh, and then uh, sell it to somebody where they pay you a rent um, for a predetermined price or a ratio that's determined over a percentage of time. Um, and then. The basic the concept of a rent to own is that they don't fall under the rules of the Landlord and Tenant Act, and that if they don't make a payment, technically, you could actually work to try and get them evicted within the first 30 days of missing a payment. That really is fundamentally a fact on, on the concept of rent to own. There were people that designed this concept and idea originally back in the day when I was in the industry with the hope that people wouldn't be Correct. able right because you're getting overinflated rent so let's you know 
what would be the percentage, let's say, of, of a fair market rent? This is because I, I find this area fascinating. Mm-hmm. So give me just give me a figure of what the standard rent would be and then how much you you are actually getting through a rent to own model just in just the number figure. What right. would it be? Just give me an idea of like uh, what your 30% tax insur- insurance would be. So you'd be getting cash flow of anywhere from 500 to $1,000 a month potentially. Oh, okay. So, but on a real rent to own, they yep. actually have to pay the property taxes and right. they have to maintain the property as they own it. That is one way of doing it. The way that we did it is we were paying it. They were just paying the rent. So we determine what the rent amount was be. So we take a look at the mortgage tax insurance. If it was say $1,500 a month, we might charge them 2000 to $2,200 a month because we're also going to give them credits as well too. Wow. Because they were only putting down say maybe 3% of the purchase price. So we had to save the other 2% okay. for them so that they would have the required down payment after three years to then go to the bank to then get the home transferred into their name. And so that's the way that we did it. They weren't on the hook for the mortgage. They were just paying the um, the rent. And so we actually had two agreements. We had the lease agreement and we also had to purchase the purchase agreement. Okay. Right? That's, so, I've never heard of yeah, that so before. Very, very, yeah. So we did it different. We okay. did it different. And so you couldn't just evict them on in 30 days. Okay. You actually had to go through the landlord and tenant board. Yeah, so that's not uh, that's not a real rent-to-own, just so that the whole formula of a rent-to-own, it, it is. Yes, but, but they, we still follow the landlord and tenant board act. Yeah, well, the, the whole the concept really, truly of the rent-to-own is to negate that right. and then be able to actually evict someone quicker than a bank could. Yeah. Uh, and you're being the bank. Yeah. Um, you're gaining a an exorbitant amount of a certain percentage. So pick your number, 20, 30, 40 percent, maybe more of what the rent would be. So you said you were in one situation, a thousand dollars a month, more than what you would normally be getting. Sometimes in some cases, typically right. 500, but okay, yeah, 500. But, but it could be more. And how much of that 500 were you allocating towards a down payment? Usually two to three hundred dollars a month. Okay. So. 50%, would that be safe to say you were kind of allocating? Less than that. Okay. Yeah, it'd be less than that. And then the stipulation on that. So most rent-to-owns don't do leases because you're kind of really negating the concept of a rent-to-own by doing a lease. If that's something that someone's really interested in doing, mm-hmm. not to suggest your model uh, wasn't right, but the concept of it actually is the ability to be able to get somebody out quickly. And so you're building a down a deposit for them, mm-hmm. and then it's decided that uh, you know that will be um, you know that will come and unfold in a time frame. In three years is typically what we three did, years. Okay. and we would use a four or five percent appreciation on whatever the purchase price was at the beginning of the agreement. Wow. Yeah. So, so. So again, so back in the day when uh, I was uh, roaming the world and the dinosaurs were on the lands, um, so rent-to-owns were really uh, something, first of all, it's a market condition situation. So rent-to-owns really thrive well in a declining market. And you don't get into a pre-decided, you don't get into a predetermined price. That's determined, especially when the market's going down, in a five or seven year term time frame in which whatever you think might be the time you're betting mm-hmm. right um that uh the market's going to turn around right and if it doesn't 
you don't have to necessarily sell at, so you've, you've determined a, a specific percentage, mm-hmm. but back in the day, um, they were leaving that very ambiguous. I, I, I remember people that were very involved in rent-to-owns, and I personally, the concept of it, I couldn't even, I couldn't even consider that just because you had usually families that were in situations. Right, and, and I think that is why rent-to-own got a bad name. Yeah. Because rent-to-own got a bad name, I think, back in the 80s and 90s. So when we were doing it, it was we had to explain to people, no, 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 we're doing this different. Yeah. We are not going to evict you in 30 days. We're following the landlord and tenant board guideline. And you know exactly what you're buying the home for in three years. Yeah. And so I don't even know how many rent-to-owns that we did. We probably did about 150, 200. Really? And, and, and how many succeeded? Like closed? I would say about 50% succeeded. Okay. So people were buying them. And here's the other thing as well, too, because we, were, we did this from 2010 to around maybe 2017. We started slowing down. Some of these tenants were closing and making a hundred thousand yeah, dollars yeah. because it was you were getting into that really hot market 2015, 16, yes. 17. Yeah. And so as long as they, for lack of a better word, got their shit together, yeah. they were transferring these homes into their names. Yeah. So we did we, the tenants did great. Good for you. Yeah. Now And you had fifty percent that yeah. didn't, okay, no. which is an important factor. And they didn't get their money back, I don't think, right? So here's what we did. And so, and I, and I told this to every one of our investors is give them back their down payment. What? Yeah. We, I, we, See, that gave, goes against the whole, we all, here's why we always gave them back their down payment because to me, that was their hard earned money that they put into it. The credits we didn't do, but the, the, the initial deposit of $10,000, we always give it back to them when they left only when they left. But then oh, some okay. of them. So they had to come in with some money, just so I'm clear on your model. Yeah, so and that was a deposit correct. at the beginning. And then that is the sum that you Would gave them back, back right. not the increased rental amount that you collected Pro- over the three years. Correct. Period. If it was an extra okay. two or 300 okay. bucks or 500. All right, cool. That's right. interesting. Right. Well, and you're a good human being. It's clear and evident that that's the case. So we would give it back to them. Okay. But then, but some of those tenants were like, well, you know what? We like it here, so we're going to stay. Because they now have friends and they're in a neighborhood and the yeah. kids love the school. And so I have rent to own tenants where uh, they've now just become long-term renters. And some of our investors as well, too, where they just weren't in a position to, to purchase it. And so here's what we say. We say, we'll hold your deposit. And whenever you're ready to buy, we will then say, what is the actual true value of the home? And then we'll sell it to you. Okay. And and that's interesting. So it's an open agreement just open but it's no more open, credits right. and whatever we say oh, no for more you, additional rent so the rents have come down to scale they to will what come back down value to, sometimes they would it just depends depends on how far off it was but they would sometimes come back down to scale and say okay look here's what the rent's going to be now no more credits yeah. um we'll freeze what we saved you so you know now you, you put down initially 10 now you have 17 maybe saved up We'll just freeze it and whenever you're ready to buy the home once you get your credit to where it needs to be let us know and we'll take a look at the market value. Wow. So you took their deposit and their credit and fr- and crystallized just, it and just basically. Froze it. Yeah. Yeah. And then that, and then we're going to use that for them when you're ready to buy. Now, here's the thing, right? And here's why I think you know, 50% of the times it doesn't work. Is some people just can't get their shit together. Yeah. And so a lot of in, some of these investors were putting tenants into these properties where they knew that they weren't ever going to be able to 
purchase it because they might have been in a bankruptcy or they might have been in a consumer proposal. So we never did that. We always said, if you're in a bankruptcy or consumer proposal, sorry, you're disqualified. So we would honestly go through a hundred sometimes candidates and only pick one. Yeah. Because there was very few that were in that situation that could actually maybe get their shit together. Yeah. It was very, very far and few in between. Well, you're breaking all the uh, rent to own rules because the, 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 it's actually designed to be the opposite. You actually are... Um, you know, if you're that type of person and, mm-hmm. it, you know, and I think there are, uh, I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong with it. What I'm suggesting is, is that, you know, you have to have the mentality that you become the bank and if they don't fill, fulfill their obligation, yeah, you're moving, you're, you're moving them on to the next one. Right. And, and so that's why I think, so my hat goes off to Tom and Nick Carazza because they had gotten this concept, I think from down in the States, brought it up here and revamp that whole model of rent to own. Okay, so this so, is this is kind of a program that you uh, learned from, yeah, Rockstar. From Rockstar, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Rockstar started in Burlington, didn't they? Correct. Yeah, they did start yeah. in Burlington. Yeah. Okay, because yeah. I, I was in I'm, I'm was a Hamilton boy, and then started hearing about this Rockstar real estate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so I certainly take my hat off to them, and congratulations for all the success that they've achieved. Um, so that's interesting because just for people to know that the concept of, of a rent to own really is you are going to get an increased uh, rental income. You're going to designate a specific amount mm-hmm. of that um, uh, additional rent that you're getting. They're fully responsible for the maintenance and repair of the property, no yep. matter no matter what it is. We did $500 cap. Okay, so that's another rule that kind of yeah, yeah you're it, breaking we, all the rules. It got revamped, right? Yeah. yeah, and and so so the real system going back to the day was they'd have to repair, they'd have to pay the taxes, mm-hmm. uh, and if they didn't fulfill their rental obligation and or if they didn't fulfill the upkeep of the property, mm-hmm. that was breach of contract. Mm-hmm. You'd notify them that they needed to leave, fulfill the, the agreement, or they would leave. And then, you know, many people who I had I had a client that had hundreds mm-hmm. was to then go ahead and redo it again. And you weren't really interviewing people for the ones that are going to succeed because this was just a really yeah. is right. And I see, and I'm not suggesting that's a model because it was a model I just Anybody that got involved in that, in that way, mm-hmm. I I just thought to myself, "Wow, you've you really got to be, you know, how do you, well, how do right. you? Get, I mean, and, and, most of these and, people have families, and so that is why it was like, why are so many people so skeptical about this rent to own? Oh, See, I had never learned the ooh, old school. Well, that was the way it was, right? And so this new way of doing rent to own mm-hmm. made sense to me, yeah. right? So it's really just again understanding what you're doing, what you're getting involved with, and having somebody that's in an arena that understands it better than you. And yeah. so I think you'd mentioned something earlier that, you know, Gary, you seem like a very smart guy. I just hang out with a lot of smart people. Isn't that the way, yeah, right? That's what I, I mean, do. surround yourself with people yeah. that know more than you uh, because you're going to learn, right? They can't help but rub off on you. Right. And it sounds to me as if, uh, which is another important factor that I try and emphasize is that you know, it's great to get free information and there's so much great information that's provided on, on, on podcasts like this, but it's, you've got to have a team and you've got to invest in your team, right? You've yep. got to have a team and you've got to be willing to pay sometimes for things because in the end, it'll cost you a heck of a lot less mm-hmm. if you've got the right people in play, right? Yep, absolutely. Don't want to make the mistakes 
uh, that other people have made. Don't try and reinvent the wheel when the, the wheel is already there and uh, there are people uh, there that can help you. And it sounds to me, with all of the different aspects and variables that you've got in your business model, you've got a lot of team players, right? Um, you're obviously a fantastic uh, quarterback or and coach, and uh, you're you're a student and you're a teacher. And it sounds like to me, and I've seen your social media, and I've seen um, it's very clear how much you love your family and how much how much your friends mean to you. And I, you know, I sometimes I look at the photographs. I'm into photography, so I'm a photographer by. Okay. And so I look at an image uh, in many in many ways differently than maybe some, um, but I genuinely authentic authentically uh, see. Uh, happiness and sincerity in the eyes of the people who are taking your photograph. If you ever looked at a photograph and people are just like, yeah, and you can see they're, you know, they're kind of there, but they're not there. Right, right. And then you can look at pictures where everybody in the room is just like so happy to be part of, uh, and that's what I see in much of what you've shared and your motivational uh, postings that you provide. So um, you're, you're, you're preaching to a choir I, I, we've talked before about that you've, um, you know, there's some spirituality that you were brought up with uh, uh, in your past, um, but it's evident in how you are. Um, good things come to good people, I believe, and, and you are what your atmosphere is. And uh, so, you know, whatever you're doing, uh, you're doing an exceptional job. And uh, I absolutely love Real Talk with Gary. It's going to be syndicated globally soon enough. And it actually is. <laughs> well, thank you. And, uh, and, um, and I hope that, uh, like your podcast, uh, people will find this to be uniquely uh, different and interesting. I plan on having some um, fascinating guests like yourself. I'm going to have you back again for sure. Um, but, uh, if you, if you enjoyed this podcast, I'd ask that you do the liking and follow and, uh, write a review, I guess. I find the writing reviews just want you to know, cause I tried to do a review. I don't find it. They make it, they do not make it easy it to write a so review. It's so difficult. It's terrible. It is difficult. It's it terrible. Really is, yeah. Yeah. So on, uh, but, iTunes, I think you got to kind of go on the podcast and then scroll like way down. Mm -hmm. And then finally you'll find a spot. I'm just letting people know to, if they like and love yep. your show, you know, hit the star and then write a review because it's important for the algorithm. It's important to share the podcast. I, Gary's got like fantastic guests. And um, and do the same thing for me. Uh, if you know of somebody that may be interested in this in this podcast, and you're interested in learning, uh, then um, do what needs to be done and uh, pass it along to friends and other family members because uh, you know that's what it's all about: social networking, being part of a community. And uh, I want to thank you very much for this opportunity. Not only that, but to actually get invited into your recording studio, and I hope uh, that we uh, will become friends. And uh, we obviously know an awful lot of people. Just you know, it's uh, the circles, social circles that we hang within. Um, but this has been a true pleasure, and I thank you for being the first guest on. Let's be frank. And uh, um, many gratitudes. Well, Frank, thank you very much, and. Uh I think we are already friends, so we're good there. And listen, you're you've got a gift as well too. You're a great host. 
I think the way that you've, uh, you, you've run this podcast has been fantastic. Thank you. I love the way that you, you shape the next question. Sometimes it's a bit of a story. Um, listen to where it's going and then like, ah, I see it. It's like you're, you're making this delicious meal. Thank and you're you. just waiting for it to brew and then boom, wow. there it is. So, so well done. I, I enjoy it. And I think, uh, I think a lot of your, your followers and uh, the people that are listening to you will enjoy what you're doing as well too, because you've got, uh, you've got a lot to offer. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. It's been a pleasure. Yes. All right, everybody have a wonderful day. All right. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye. We'll be right back. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for the show. I truly hope uh, that you enjoyed it. One thing I need you to remember is that I have no interest in being a social media personality, but I do have interest in helping you succeed in real estate. So as my father would say, if you don't ask, you don't get, pick up the phone and give me a call. One of the things that I've been told that I need to ask is that in order for the show to grow, if you like the show, please um, hit the like button and follow and share and hashtag and do all those types of things, which I really don't know much about. Um, I know they don't make it easy in order to leave reviews and things like that. And we also do want to know what you think and um, are very excited for that feedback. One of the other things I really want to instill is... uh, You're only successful if you have a team that's behind you. And I have put together a team that really brought my vision of what Let's Be Frank about real estate investing is all about. And uh, those individuals are listed below on the uh, bottom of every podcast show. So I would ask that you um, look at their services. And they're not paying me to be part of it. It's not an advertising issue. I believe in helping those uh, who help me. And um, our uh, podcast producer, Todd Miller, has been phenomenal because he literally um, listened to what I wanted and how I wanted the show to be. And again, um, I know nothing about this. So um, I know that of the importance of reaching out and getting experts in areas of weakness. And so I'm very, very easy to admit that I know nothing about um, um, social media and all these types of things. So you're only as strong as your team. I really try to instill that throughout the shows. Um, You know, you really, in life, you get what you give. And I also believe in supporting and helping all those who help me. Anyway, thank you very much. And I hope you really enjoyed the show and will continue to join us uh, as the road travels down with Let's Be Frank. (laughs) 